Welcome to the Beauty Aside podcast. I'm Gentry Quinn. I dropped out of school at the age of 17, got my GED, and still managed to build multiple businesses and a beauty line from the ground up. Beauty Aside, each week we'll be talking with entrepreneurs and learning what it takes to achieve balance and what it really means to follow your dreams. Today, I am blessed to be sitting down again with one of my all-time favorite independent filmmakers. She has credits as a director, writer, producer, and film editor. Most recently, she was a producing director of the hit own series, which was Queen Sugar, and is, was also a director on the first season of Home Before Dark. I hope it's okay, because since our last visit, I've actually coined her the magical storyteller, because that is what she is, and her name is Kat Candler. Welcome back, Kat. Thank you. It's good to be back. I love that. I love that dubbed title. The magical storyteller. <laughs> it's so fitting. I'm like, that is what you are. That is what you are. You do it all. I, I mean, love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's very fitting. So I'm just going to jump right in because I remember us talking a long time ago at Central Market. I'm not sure if you remember this or not. I expressed having a hard time getting funding. Shocking for the feature film that I was trying to make. And, you know, I was having this conversation with you and I remember, you know, talking to you saying, you know, I'm not sure what to do. This is how much money I have. I should, maybe, maybe I should just make a short film instead. And at that time you had advised me, you just, I remember you kind of just moving your head and just basically saying, save it all for the feature film. Just save it all for the feature film. And so I thought about that today and I think about it sometimes when I think about, you know, doing a larger project versus a smaller project, not to take anything away from the smaller projects because we need those to grow and learn. But I was just wondering if I asked you the same question today, would the mm. answer be the same? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, well, here's the thing. I look at short films as a means to get on the playground, a means to create with less risk, um, with more freedom. Uh, and for me, that allows without expectations, um, just to dive in with my friends and make something and be creative and, you know, it, it could be anytime, anywhere, anyhow, the budget range can be a hundred bucks. It could be 20 grand. Um, it just, you know, it, it really just depends on what you want to make and how you want to make it. Um, with a feature film, you're certainly talking a little bit more than that. I mean, you could make a feature film for 30 grand. The first one that I made long ago that no one has really ever seen. Um, we made it for, we all put in, I think like 15 or $1,600. It was roughly about $5,000 to get in the can. This was back in 1999. So we're talking mini DB, but um, it was, it was at that time that was sort of my film school. Cause I didn't go to film school. So it was, a, it was a bunch of us friends getting together and spending a summer um, making something. Uh, so I guess in that respect, as I'm talking and kind of listening to myself, I was, this is kind of the same thing. Um, but yeah, I feel like shorts is a, is a playground to be creative without people looking at you and seeing what you're doing. And even that first feature that people make, it's a, it's just this 
beautiful time where you can be creative, you can take risks and you don't have people looking at you to see what you're doing next. Or, um, I, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of, a lot of freedom, uh, in that. So going back to the question of if I would say the same thing, um, yeah, I mean, if you're making, if you have a feature film that you want to make and you feel like you've already got the tools and, and the creative bones to, to really bring that vision to life, then yeah, go for it. Uh, in terms of the money nowadays, you know, when I was first making stuff, we didn't have Indiegogo or GoFundMe or Kickstarter or any of that. So we were, and I was talking to my assistant about this the other day, I was like, we were putting together garage sales and it wasn't stuff of ours that we were selling. It was like, we would put out a call for people who were just getting rid of stuff and then we would go sell it and make a couple of grand and then go make a feature film. <laughs> um, but nowadays you have, there's so many outlets of, of raising money. And the thing that I feel like people will realize is that our friends and our family want to support us in our creative endeavors and are happy to put in, whether it's $10, $1,000, a hundred bucks, five grand to help make that a reality. Uh, so it's nowadays, I, f I feel like it's a lot easier to raise some cash to make something. That being said, raising cash uh, anywhere from like under maybe 30 grand. Anything above that is feels a little bit more daunting for sure. So, okay. So this is all such good information and I have my bullet points, but I might jump around a little bit based on um, what you just said about raising money, because I wanted to talk to you about, you know, finding money for films and grants, things along those lines. What do you feel for the person that is looking to make a film for, let's just use your ballpark figure, 30 grand or under, what do you feel would be the, the best course of action? Would it be, would it be grants? Would it be crowdfunding? Would it be hosting small parties? Uh, the garage sale. I love, that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, why did I think of that? Why did I think of that? Uh, but yeah, what, from your experience with your experience, because you can only speak for, from your experience and you have a lot of it. Uh, what would you, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's advice that you would give someone now that maybe you didn't know when you first started, maybe, maybe you think back and, and say, well, you know, I really exhausted those efforts. I wish I had placed them in this other bucket over here. Right. Well, I mean, what I did to raise money my outside of garage sales the first time was I wrote a letter to all of my friends and family. Again, this is pre-Indiegogo and Kickstarter, asking for $100 to put together, to cobble together my, I think, fifteen or $1,600 contribution to make this $5,000 grant or $5,000 film. Um, so I think what's asking for money sucks. <laughs> it always is just, you just feel awful. You feel like you're, um, I don't know. It just, it, it's not, it's kind of a gross feeling, but it's something that you got to get over. You have to ask for help. I mean, the, what we do in this creative industry, so much of it is 
asking for advice, asking for help, asking for money, um, asking for resources. So it's getting over that initial fear of asking for help because more often than not, you'll find that if you are so passionate about the story that you're telling, the short film that you're making, um, people are going to want to get on board, especially the people that love you and support you and, and, and want to be a part of something. I've certainly, you know, I, I have friends or people that I barely even know that I will dump a little bit of money into their crowdsourcing campaign because I'm just excited about the art that they're making or the story that they're telling, or just because I think they're really talented. And again, like, some of these people are friends. Some of these people I barely know. I'm just excited that they're making something. Like the barista that at the coffee shop that I go to, I found that he was trying to raise money to press his first record. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I didn't even know you were a musician. And so I go home and I put a little cash into the crowdsourcing that he was using to press his first record. Um, so I think people are might be a little bit surprised as to how their friends and family want to help make those dreams happen and support the art. But it genuinely comes from being really passionate about what you want to do. And, um, and you can't fake that. You can't fake that. I completely agree with that. Um, since you mentioned crowdfunding, how do you, really feel about crowdfunding platforms in general, meaning are they worth the time? Is there a secret yes. to someone having more success than others? Um, okay. So yes is the answer. So why are they, why are they worth it? Because it's so easy. It is so, I mean, it's easy for someone like me to just go put a little cash into something. It's literally just a few clicks of a button at this point versus actually going to a garage sale or going to a benefit concert or any of that. It's just, it's so easy for people to help financially um, on these lower budgeted things um, in terms of success of people getting money. Um, I know Matt Cherry, who he had a, crowdfunding campaign years ago, he was making a short film that he ended up first making into a book called Hair Love. And then, then he made the short film and literally the short film is playing in front of Angry Birds 2 right now because Sony ended up picking it up and making it. But it was such a beautiful, sweet campaign that he had put together to make this short film. And he had like the animated art that he was using. He was just so passionate about it. And it felt like it's such a project that people were excited to get on board with because it promoted um, just this beauty behind this father daughter relationship and struggles of um, just the everyday. So people were really like that crowdfunding campaign went bananas. I mean, he got so much money and again, it turned it into a book and a short film. Um, but and then there are other other people where I don't even look at their, like, I'm, again, it's just like a friend or someone I expect or a respect or excite, I'm excited about. I don't even watch their video or I don't even like look at their material. I just click the button to give them cash. Uh, but again, it's the passion. It's the passion of the filmmaker and however you can express that through that video, through images, um, 
through the story. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I think it really boils down to hearing the filmmaker talk about the story and why it's important and what they love about it and, and how they envision it. So, okay. So hearing the filmmakers talk, understanding the passion from the filmmakers, that's, that's one thing that we would need to focus on if we're wanting a, a wanting to do well with crowdsourcing. Um, who would you say you should be marketing it to? Because I, I remember there being feeling a lot of confusion uh, around this in the past with projects. Uh, you know, it just seemed like intuitive and don't ask me why, because I feel like now it's, it's seems apparently, you know, counterintuitive, but at that time, you know, you have all of your filmmaking peers and people that share a love for and a passion for filmmaking. So people like you, right. Mm -hmm. It would be intuitively, I would go, Oh, well, these people, these people might want to support me. So I might be marketing uh, my project to these people when in fact, all of these people also have all of their own projects going on that they're trying to make. In addition to a lot of filmmakers are struggling just by nature, just the nature of the business. It's just a hard business and you have to sacrifice a lot, a lot of the time to be successful. So what advice could you give to people as far as like who they should be marketing to outside of the film community? Yeah, it's kind of everybody. The, the two short films that we crowdfunded, um, the, sometimes it was really shocking who would give like sort of the bigger donations. One, I was making a short called black metal um, that deals in heavy metal and a friend of mine from college who was a DJ for the metal show that, you know, at V89 at Florida state, he ended up giving me a, a good size of that budget that we were looking for. And I would never have guessed, but it made total sense when I was, it was like, Oh yeah, yeah. He loves heavy metal and he would love to see this project come to life because it speaks to him and it speaks to something that he loves. Another um, person on another campaign who I hadn't seen in I don't even know how long she had at one point been in film distribution back in like the early 2000s. And now I, I don't even remember what she was doing, but she ended up giving me a sizable chunk of the budget for another particular short film. Um, but it, you know, I mean, I think, Maybe it's exciting for people who aren't in the film business who do have a little bit of cash to spare that the story touches their heart or it touches something that they're excited about that we just don't realize. So for me, it's kind of, I don't know, I I feel like it's kind of blanketing everybody, everybody that I know. And I'm not on Facebook anymore, but at that point it was, you know, constant Facebook posts and you have to be relentless about it too, because you know, I, the, the there was someone that I literally just put a little cash into their campaign today, but I had seen the campaign probably at least ten times on social media before I actually push, like push the button. So, so it's not you know that people don't want to donate. It's that sometimes they need to see it multiple times before they are literally sitting in a place where they can make that donation. So there is a, a relentlessness to those campaigns and to promoting those campaigns on all social media platforms. Um, yeah. 
That's really, really great advice because I find that that bleeds over into to a lot of other different uh, business models, not just film. So that's really, really right. good advice. Um, you know, you have to be relentless as far as being in people's faces and, you know, yes. you need to be a little strategic as to how you do that so that you don't annoy people and they don't just, you know, like block you or go away. So you right. do have to have some strategy in that. But I think a part of that may be um, because they do see the passion. And for some of us, we want to know that if we invest our money in whatever it is or whoever it is, I'm going to say whoever it is, right? Not whatever it is, because you're, yeah. you're a lot of the times you're investing in the person, you want to know that they're going to follow through and that they're taking right. it seriously. And I think uh, for me, if I, if I'm investing in Kat Candler, I know that there's follow through and I know that there's talent there. And so to me, that's easy. Uh, right. But for us newbies or people starting out, maybe the message is, is to, you know, like be relentless, but also, um, also show, show, show that you're serious about it, show that right. there's going to be follow through. Um, and, and you make it personal too. I mean, there's a, a young filmmaker in Austin that I've been supporting um, both in like the crowdfunding campaign, but also mentoring for the last, I don't know, like six or nine months as she went and made a feature film this summer. And there were a lot of conversations of, well, this is my budget. And then the question is, well, what if you don't get all of that budget? Are you still going to make it? And at the, in the end, it was, yes, even if I have a third of that budget, I'm still come hell or high water going to go make this project. And that to me spoke volumes instead of like, oh, if I don't make this, I'm going to give up and move on. But no, I will figure out how to do it on X amount of dollars. And sure enough, she did. And what was beautiful is getting those little updates once you once you put in a little cash into that crowdfunding campaign, keeping your audience engaged in what's happening and, you know, how prep is going, how production is going, showing those photos of, um, you know, scouting or, or costumes or whatever, but keeping, keeping the funders and the audience engaged in your journey, I think is really special to be a part of because you feel like you're a part of, this movie or this short being made and um, and people want to get on board and want to, people want to be a part of that and see that and kind of open their eyes to the process. I love that. I think that's brilliant advice for whoever is out there listening. Uh, <laughs> make it personal. That's it, you know, and, and uh, show the development, uh, you know, engage in the journey. Those are great messages. Um, since we're on the topic of film and money, uh, let's talk about grants for a mm. moment. Um, I and, and correct me if I'm wrong in my research here, but um, you know, a lot of the times, the hardest part, in my opinion, of <laughs> of any film project is actually getting the funding. And I know in 1999, you mentioned it was uh, Cicadas. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the name of the film um, that you had. Um, did you now? How much did you make it for? Did you make it for five thousand? No, we probably ended up spending between twenty and twenty-five grand. Okay, that sounds more like it. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we put okay. together five grand to get it actually in the can that summer. Okay, um, and then we had to figure out post and all of that. Which... Okay, 
So, so about 2025 grand. Um, and I, and you received 5,000 as a grant from AFS. Is that correct? That's correct. For that film. Okay. And then in Hellion, um, I have here that you also received 5,000 for a grant that you used in Mm post-production. So with out big stars like Aaron Paul and Juliet Lewis, or maybe even without very much experience, how can someone set themselves up for a better chance at getting a grant? Because I know that for a lot of us, it's very intimidating. It's not that we're just lazy, but it seems like the odds are stacked up against you. And you know, you have the lack of confidence. Oh, mine's not good enough. Oh, you know, why would they pick me? Um, and there's just a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of competition. So from, with your experience, since you've been successful receiving some of these grants, what advice would you give those aspiring filmmakers on, you know, getting on having a better chance, just a better chance at getting right. a grant? Yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing about filmmakers in Texas is that there is the Austin Film Grant, which has been around forever and supports Texas resident filmmakers, um, which is how I have received a lot of financial support over the years for many, many projects. Um, and it's it's probably one of the easiest, not easy because grants are really challenging to apply for, but it's so simply laid out there. It's a really, even if you're not even if you're not applying for the grant, you're just making a film like the UT kids, the University of Texas kids I used to teach, I used to make them fill out that grant, regardless of whether they were actually applying, because I think it makes you think through your project from beginning to end. And from beginning to end, I mean, from like the actual writing of it to the actual distribution of it. Um, And it really kind of forces you to think who your audience is, how you're going to distribute it, what festivals you want to play at, um, how you're going to make it if you don't get all of your money. It really forces you to, to address every little corner and pocket of the process of making that film. And so I think going, like finding an, uh, a, a, a place like that, a website like that, that can really kind of help you um, set yourself up for success in putting together a grant. And then they also have workshops um, where you go and you listen to the, the person from the Austin Film Society talk about what are the best practices to achieve success in grant writing. Um, first and foremost, it's going to be your script. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. It's about having a really killer script and that goes from a short film to a studio feature film that is always what's going to be attracting uh, money talent people that just want to help so having a script that is just really special and really tight is number one and then from there it's being very it's having an intelligence about your project knowing what it is knowing how much money you need knowing how to get it out there and if you don't it's doing the research of um finding what are the best festivals or talking to other filmmakers who have similar films that you can get you can just kind of gain experience and gain sort of their journey that might be applicable to yours Um, but really doing the research and, you know, not, not 
answering a question of like, yeah, I'm going to raise a million dollars for this film that has no stars, no, you know, nothing. It's being smart about how you present your project and how you present your film and being realistic about it as well. Because I think a lot of times grant funders will see these projects that are really unrealistic about their expectations and about their project in general. Um, and that's a, a, a turnoff of like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the landscape really looks like out here. Um, so it's doing the research, being really smart and aware of what project you have, but then just having a really killer story, killer script and um, yeah. So since you're, since you mentioned uh, having a killer story and a tight script, let's, let's uh, talk about screenwriting for one second, because I, I think that I've had like 20 something drafts. I don't even know if I should admit this right now of a feature that I wrote. And I remember actually the, the, the time period when I had, I had come to a final place in my mind of, okay, this is it. And then an actor asked me if I was willing to work on the story at all, or if I was done writing at yeah, yeah. that time, I kind of chuckled and I was like, it's done. But in the back of my mind, you know, you, I feel like we always wonder, we always hesitate. Did I do enough? Do enough? Right. Is the story enough? So right. as a story, as a magical storyteller, how <laughs> do you know when to stop? I'm going to say rewriting. How do you, what is sure. that magic place you get to? Is there, do angels sing? I don't know. What, how do you know? <laughs> I mean, I think you can feel in your gut when you are doing these rewrites and maybe the first round of notes that you get from your, your trusted friends who are great storytellers and great writers of their own right. Maybe that, that list of notes starts at like five or six pages and each draft that list of notes is getting whittled down and whittled down to the point where like, they're like, oh yeah, you have a typo on that page. You have a typo on this page. Maybe this line of dialogue. So when it, in the consensus from the people that you love and trust is that you're getting, I, for me, this is how I kind of work. For me, like when I'm... I'm feeling really good and then I'm validated by other people are feeling re really good about it. Um, that's when I, I kind of know. But with that being said, the script is going to, it's just this evolving thing, you know? So when you start taking it out to the actors, actors are going to have an opinion and are going to want to make shifts and changes based on the character and how they see it. A producer is going to have notes. The studio is going to have notes. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's sort of this always evolving thing. And hopefully those notes aren't like gigantic gutting because then I think you might want to walk away. But if I feel like there's kind of a little bit of a polish that you have to do for different when different people kind of get involved. And then, of course, like you're at the mercy of when you're putting together an indie feature, you're at the mercy of certain locations or, or time period or, you know, how much time you have. And so like Hellion, the feature that we did, I was still doing rewrites while we were in production to accommodate a certain location that we lost or a certain time frame that we had to work within. So it's, it's forever changing. But I think to answer your question as to when you know, know that it's time to be able to actually send it out to actors or send it out to funders you're you just it, you the notes are very very few and far between i think is 
where I come at it. Okay. So basically when the pages of notes stop or get really whittled down to, to spell are check. Very, yeah. Are very much fewer. <laughs> we can and feel better at that point. Yeah. And everybody has their own opinion. You know, right. everybody is going to have their own. Well, I think this should go this way, it, but maybe it's also when notes are so there's no consensus to the notes so there's not everybody saying oh this one character or not everybody is saying oh this one plot point it's the notes are a little bit more scattered in what they're nitpicking if that okay. makes sense. no it makes complete sense and I love it that you said that because it even personally selfishly helps me <laughs> because I think that there's a lot of truth to that right if everyone yeah. is pointing the finger at something well maybe you need to think that, mm -hmm. that there's a Absolutely. possibility that all of these fingers yeah. might be right. But yeah. if you have 10 different opinions and they're all different, well, maybe it's just a, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a matter of a, opinion right. and, uh, and us as storytellers, you, you as the magical storyteller have to be, uh, you know, you have to protect the integrity of the story also that you've written. And so right. you can't just keep make a change every time someone is, is, you know, has a thought. Right. So yeah. And I always, whenever I give notes to someone, I always start with this may or may not be the story that you want to tell. So take or leave any of these notes. Don't, I'm not offended by any means because we as storytellers know the, at the core, what we want to tell and how we want to tell it. And the notes that were given may shift that. Um, it may shift it in a good way, but it may shift it in a way that we don't want to go that direction or down that path. And you have to be, you also have to be just aware of, of what it is that you want to say with your art and what the story is that you want to tell and be true to that. Um, but yes, I do. I, I, the big thing is, is if everybody is saying the same thing, listen to it. <laughs> good advice. Good advice. I love that. Makes complete sense to me. Um, and while you also mentioned uh, festivals, so I want to touch on that for a moment uh, because I know that you've mentioned love for festivals in the past. I know you've had some success. Um, how hard was it to get into your first festival? And do you have any tips you can give filmmakers who are applying and applying and they are doing their research and they do have good uh, material. They are talented, but maybe they just haven't had uh, such good luck, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't their time or, you know, because there is a lot of competition out there. I'm not trying to make yeah. up excuses, but I'm just saying what, 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 uh, you know, yeah. what could you give them? I think the first short film that I submitted was from a workshop that I had taken in Austin long, long ago. And I remember I submitted it to the Rhode Island Short Film Festival, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. But they sent me back, and festivals never do this, so I don't know what weird thing happened, but they sent me back a rejection letter, but it was the kindest, coolest rejection letter that Aww. was very personal to my short film. So even though it was sort of a sucker punch, it was like, it gave me hope too, you know? Um, so I was actually really glad that that was my first 
film festival rejection because it was, we're not going to take this film, but this is what we, the light that we see in your voice and in your talent. Um, and so from there, it was, I, I, you know, I've, I submitted to Sundance countless times before I actually got in. And it's just something, I feel like it's a rite of passage. It's you, every, every year you have a project, you submit to Sundance, whether it's right for it or not. And I've certainly submitted a ton of films that were not right for Sundance. And I think there is a, a maturity to kind of, you have to find to look and really assess the project that you have, knowing the kind of films that these different festivals bring to their to to their festival um and that's hard it's hard to you know I had a short film that was very much this kid poppy fun silly super cute little short that I submitted to Sundance and I'm like they would never play this in a gazillion years but it played at countless children's festivals um, so it's having uh, an awareness of what you have and being realistic about it too um, look at the films that have played at these different festivals and really assess if what you have makes sense with their programming. Um, so it's doing the research, it's looking at the short films. Um, there's a great website, Shorts, uh, Short of the Week, which has countless short films on there. And it actually breaks some of them up into the different festivals that they play. So you can get it, kind of get a sense of the different brand of each festival but the beautiful thing about shorts is that they can play a gazillion festivals and for a really really long time um but what was the question again yeah no <laughs> hey i'm just enjoying this is a free classroom this is free like, education well, over here the festival uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah just just maybe yeah. how how hard i mean you've given us some insight as to you know you applying for your first short film yeah. and, and know you've been into since then been into the Sundance uh just yeah. how hard it was to get into the first one you know because I feel like a lot of people can get discouraged sure yeah I mean it took um, like at least a decade before I got into Sundance at least and that was submitting a ton of projects um but yeah I mean we I took every every festival that we played was exciting because it's an audience that gets to see your work. Mm -hmm. um, and the ones that I was able to go to, I would always go to because even if it was small at that time, um, being a Texas filmmaker, I played a ton of Texas festivals and going to those festivals and experience. It, it's really like the experience of the festivals, truly. Um, it's meeting the other filmmakers. It's having that camaraderie, those friendships that are going to last a long time. Um, you'd be surprised, like the the connections, the friendships that you make at those festivals that come into play years and years down the line. Whether it's just being friends or actually being able to hire each other and having opportunities. But um, yeah, the rejection sucks. I mean, the thing is. That rejection never ends. It never, ever ends. I had a day earlier this week where I was just super duper sad and super down and having imposter syndrome because of, I don't know, it was just like one too many rejections in a day or in a week where um, you're just feeling like, oh, I suck. But then you have to stop, 
look around and, and appreciate what it is that you have and what you do and the fact that we get to make art for our jobs, which is bananas. Like that's what I get paid for. Um, but yeah, that rejection never, ever, ever ends. So I think those early years, it's just figuring out how to make peace with it so that years down the line, it's just, it's every day. It can be every day. Um, I feel like that was a sad, <laughs> a sad little detour into rejection. You no, know, it's, 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 it's reality, you know? And I feel yeah. like, I feel like we're comforted by people who, when we know we're not alone, let's just put yeah, it that way. When yeah. we know we're not alone. So it does, yeah, it does sound sad, but at the same time, if I know it took Kat Candler a decade to get into this festival, well, yeah. I might keep trying. I might because yeah, and, <laughs> so it's true. And I'll say too, like the, the project that we got in with was not something that we made to get into festivals. It was something that was made out of love and out of excitement just to go play again. Like I hadn't been, I hadn't made a short film in a, like a year or two. And I, and I was working at the university of Texas and I was seeing all of my students making stuff all the time. And I was just at a place where I was like, why am I not making stuff all the time? So I gathered a friend, like a bunch of friends and we went out and made this little short film without any expectations whatsoever. And it was so much fun. And it was like those creative juices were flowing again and it got into Sundance. You know, again, no expectations. There was no like, I have to make this to do this, to get here, to get there. It was just, let's go play. And I feel like that oftentimes is, those are the projects that are just made with love and and um, freedom that have taken me to, have taken me in a direction that has furthered my career. Not because I was making these plans or these or being really calculated of if I do this then this this you know what uh which film which short film are you referring to I know you made a lot yeah no it was Hellion Hellion was the short short film that's right and that was also one that you um you had funded for uh on Indiegogo correct yep I I think we five thousand dollars is what we ended up getting for that short film very good. Well, and um, wow. And then t- ended up turning it into a feature, people. That's how it's done. Just in case you were wondering out there, look at everything you're learning today. Um, this is seriously my the least favorite time of my interview. And I'm like, um, I'm, I'm like. I was uh, at the 45 minute mark. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like almost at the 40 minute mark. And I'm like, are I just dread. Just dread. Oh no. Yeah. Just dreading it anyways. And, uh, and so I, let's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a, a part three down the road. No, yeah. pressure, no pressure. On the time, <laughs> no pressure on the time. I realize I'm like squeezing. Everything All good. All good. Uh, but let's, you know, we've talked about some things that maybe weren't, you know, that, that, that fun. And so we're running down to the last few minutes and I'm going to ask you this question Okay. for fun. Has there ever been a moment where you thought I made it? Ha. Uh, I love that question. Um, I don't know if it was, I made it whether but I think it was more like it's my turn 
um, which was getting into Sundance with that short film. I literally, um, you know, I had been, I had made two feature films at that point, several short films. I had sold, I had sold a script that ended up being made into like a lifetime movie, like all of these things that I was proud of, but I was, it, 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 things that like I didn't culminate in like, this is who I am as an artist. And this is, these are the stories that I want to tell. And I feel really confident in my art right now. And telling the short film was that, you know, it was rough and tumble and scrappy, but it just had such a, such a unique heart that was all me. And when it got into Sundance, I literally dropped to my knees, started sobbing and saying, thank you. And saying it's my turn. So I don't think it was a matter of like, I've made it. Cause I don't know that that ever necessarily happens. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Like I'm sure Spielberg and JJ Abrams and all of those guys are like, I made it. Um, but for me, like, I, the journey never ends and I don't feel like I've ever, I don't feel like I have made all the art and told all the stories I want to tell. So maybe on my deathbed, <laughs> that last dying breath, I'll Uh-oh. be like, I this made it. Even more depressing. <laughs> now we're talking about deathbeds. <laughs> but I mean, that's the beauty of it is that there's so much yeah. to be told and there's so much art to be made that I hope that I never feel like I've made it. I feel like I've always always feel like I'm learning and growing and creating and um, just, yeah, I, I feel like I hope the journey never ends and I hope the process never ends because I love, I love being in the thick of it. You seriously gave me chills just now. I just, you have such <laughs> a, a beautiful way of phrasing things. And I have, I, a feeling that you have a lot more turns in store. So I like uh, definitely not worried about that. Yeah, I'm gonna it'll, be, it'll happen. <laughs> what was the word that we said? I'm going to be very relentless about yes. it and I'm yes. going to make it happen, Done, uh, but not annoying, but not annoying. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I just know yes. you learned so much from you, Kat. And uh, oh, it's such, so fun. So fun to like kind of reminisce. I love it. So Kat, I just have this one last question and this is actually from my partner Alex on a more introspective note I said Alex what would you ask as I'm writing down four pages of notes what would you ask a filmmaker he loves films and he said with enthusiasm um, how do you find inspiration for your film and and then how do you translate your vision onto the screen and I thought well that's a loaded question but I'll go ahead and ask her anyways because that's yeah. his question he was so excited about it how do you find inspiration for films and then yeah no it kind of comes from everywhere uh it's it can come from like Hellion the Short was from a story that my uncle Frank would tell at family gatherings literally like every year to the point where I wrote it down and thought this could make a really cool little, little just slice of life. Um, it could come from someone I see on the street and I'm just wondering what their life looks like. It could come from listening to a song last night. Um, we, God, we were listening to, um, 
now I'm totally blanking, some like indie rock band. And as I'm listening to the song, I, just all these images and stories are sort of coming, coming to, there's just like this, story, like this storm of narrative in my head. Um, it can come from staring at a painting or I love uh, like photo books. I'll get like a bunch of photo books and just look through the photography, whether it's from like the 1930s or the 1970s or 2010. And just, I can, I can dream up a story while I'm looking at an old photograph. Um, and that comes in that in terms of the question of creating the vision that too, I collect photo books to use as images that inspire the look, the style, um, I'll use other movies, uh, clips, or um, just images, still frames to help cobble together what the vision of it looks like. But inspiration comes from everywhere. It can come from a conversation I have with my mom randomly driving around Los Angeles. It could come from literally me staring at some of these images on my wall that um, Adrian Tomine uh, drew from The New Yorker. It just, it comes from anywhere, reading books, looking at art. That's what I love about being a human, is <laughs> just being a, an observer of, of, of humanity, of art, with storytelling too. Like with Hellion, after I finished making the short film, I started going down to Southeast Texas and interviewing people down there. And that's one of my favorite parts of being a storyteller is taking that journalistic approach and and talking to people and hearing their stories and using and kind of like just growing that into something larger or something more layered so it comes from everywhere yeah oh, man you have the best answers it, com <laughs> it comes from everywhere if you look for it I yeah. Mean, seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. If you just kind of sit still and look around wherever you are, you can pull yeah. a story. Yeah. You don't have to go on vacation. It's like, well, <laughs> well, well, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's take it. That sounds lovely. But there were, I mean, I will say like, I would go on writing retreats. I would do like self-imposed writing retreats where I would get a hotel for a week in some small town in Texas. And I would find my morning diner and I would go sit in my morning diner every like at six or 7 a.m. And just watch and like immerse myself in that little, whatever that small town was or that little world. I would go on walks down the main street and just, you know, people watch and listen, listen to dialogue. There was one short film that I made because I went to a baseball game with my husband and I was just listening to the conversations with these rabid baseball fans and figured out a story from there long ago. So it, yeah, it's just being a quiet observer sometimes and just listening to stories and listening to people. That is so cool. So beautifully said. And thank you for letting me ask yeah. you one last question. Of course. Um, Alex is going to be really happy. Yay! <laughs> as well as all of the other listeners to this <laughs> bonus question. You're welcome. Thank you again, Kat Candler. So of seriously appreciate it and appreciate you and, and all that you bring to you. Uh, the, the film world, the story thank world. Thank you. Thank you, um, thank you. Okay.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also for those listeners out there, you can keep an eye out for more of Kat's upcoming work on Home Before Dark, 13 Reasons Why, and Sorry for Your Loss. You can also find Kat on IG, and her handle is at Kat Candler, that's C-A-T-C-A-N-D-L-E-R. 